on this fourth Sunday of Lent, we are in the fifth week of our homily series for Lent called Seriously God? Making sense when life doesn't make sense. In this series, we're examining obstacles. Obstacles that often keep people from taking God seriously or developing faith and trust in God. Three weeks ago, we looked at how to make sense of life when God says no. Jesus shows us that God's no's can help us to live in true freedom. Freedom from being enslaved to our own desires or maybe an evil lifestyle or the opinions and whims of other people. We can be free from those things. Last week, we looked at why God seems to allow the wrong people to be in charge. Why does God allow corrupt people to gain power? We looked at what we could learn from the call of Moses in that regard. We learned that God sees his people when they are suffering and under corrupt leadership, and he wants to lead his people to a better place. We can cry out to God to lead us to a better place and then seriously consider whether or not God wants us to step forward and be a leader rather than just complaining about the leaders that we do have. Is the Lord calling us to a position of leadership? Today we're looking at times when God does not fix what we want fixed and it does not seem fair. Maybe we even feel like God is getting in the way of our life the way we think life should be. Therefore, we think, God, you're just in my way. If you would just fix things the way I think they need to be fixed, things would be great. For example, there are irritations in life sometimes that come up again and again. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you have a systems problem at work and you can't solve it. Maybe you are a software engineer and you stay up day and night trying to get the software to work properly, trying to get it to communicate with its various parameters and trying to get the associated hardware to work properly as well. For me, that's a nightmare. And we're asking God to help us, but it doesn't seem to get fixed. Several of my siblings are involved in that kind of industry, and I tell them when I retire, I will come to work for you and be the company exorcist. I will cast out the power of Satan from your software and hardware, because that's how it feels to me. Or maybe you have a personnel problem. You just can't seem to get the right people at the right time. Maybe you have a relationship problem that gets in the way of a happy family. You and your spouse would have such a better marriage if it wasn't for the in-laws. The in-laws and the outlaws, right? Or maybe there's one issue that as a couple, it keeps popping up repeatedly and you just can't seem to get beyond it. You wish the problem would go away because it would make your marriage so much better or at least it would be easier on you. And yet it persists. Maybe your health is an issue. Maybe you've been dealing with health issues and you think if you weren't sick you could accomplish so much more and enjoy life even better. And yet no matter what you do, the issue won't go away. When these type of obstacles appear or when God doesn't seem to be doing what we want him to do, we can start to grumble. So did people in Jesus' time grumble, especially the religious leaders. Because there were people who were nothing like Jesus, who really liked him and drew close to him. 
The religious leaders did not like that and they did not understand it. Because in their minds, God was for the religious people or the church people. Tax collectors and sinners didn't belong in the club. Jesus seemed to meet with tax collectors and sinners in the Pharisees' mind anyway, just to annoy them. The religious leaders, that is. So they grumble and complain about Jesus' popularity. Jesus addresses those religious leaders in the way we hear today by telling them this parable of the prodigal son, which explores the prodigal son, the sinner returning home to the father. It explores the beautiful heart of God the father, and it explores the self-righteous and arrogant older son. What we hear about is in the same way the father welcomes the rebellious son home, God the father will welcome anyone who returns to him. Sinner and saint alike. Arrogant, self-righteous, and humble alike. But let's take a look at this older brother, because quite often he's not considered in the story. And yet the older brother actually represents the religious leaders to whom Jesus is addressing this parable. The older brother, who's worked hard and kept all of the father's rules, is angry and jealous. Because the father throws a party in honor of the sinning son's return. Maybe you identify with that. Maybe we feel a little jealous or envious when someone else gets all the glory and we feel like we've been doing all the right things all this time. And the story in that sense means for us to be able to identify with the older brother. The Pharisees, who are, remember, the professional church people, would certainly have associated with the older brother. For they felt like they kept all the rules. They considered themselves morally and religious superior to everyone. They set themselves up not only as the ultimate religious rule keepers, but also the ultimate judges of how well everyone else was keeping the rules. We can envision the older son getting jealous and angry, staying outside. And we can envision the father coming out and pleading with his older son to join him. When the older brother becomes angry and refuses to enter his father's house, this is an insult. It's an insult to the father made worse because it incurs right in front of the father's guests. So he must leave his guests and leave the party to plead with the older son to come into the party. The son is embarrassing his father in a culture where honor and respect for your father were two of the highest values. Think about this analogy. Here we have the party which really represents heaven. We have God the Father in the midst of the party welcoming sinner and saint alike. And we have the judgmental older brother standing outside pointing fingers at everybody that's in there. Maybe not everybody, but certainly his brother and saying he doesn't belong there. I wonder what it will be like when we get to heaven. Will we look around and think, well, why is so-and-so here? Maybe. And if so, in that sense, maybe we're a bit like this older brother. And then in the story, as it evolves, the humiliation and embarrassment increase for the father. For the brother says to his father in reply, look, as in, look you, or hey, buddy. Well, obviously, this is not how sons are to speak to their fathers then or now. Basically, then the son says, 
I've done everything for you and you have done nothing for me. How insulting, but also profoundly revealing. For the older brother is showing why he worked for the father. It's not out of love and respect. It's not even out of duty or honor. He worked for the father to earn what he considered what would be owed to him. While the younger brother rebelled to get money, remember in the beginning of the story he tells his father, I want all of my inheritance now. So he rebels to get money. The older brother obeyed to try to get the money. Neither cared about the relationship with the father or with the family. And while both attitudes are equally wrong, they are not equally dangerous. And the danger is a warning. A warning for all of us in our relationship with God. When you walk away from God and the church, it's clear you're walking away from God and the church. It's regrettable and can lead to even more regrettable things. But it is clear. It's far more dangerous to stay in the church, seemingly in a relationship with God, but not really. Carefully obeying all the rules and checking off all the boxes... And then like the older brother, maybe begin to think that God owes you for your religious rule keeping. You fulfill your obligation and because you do, you find yourself increasingly entitled to whatever it is that you're after. Whether it's grace, which would be God's unmerited favor, maybe blessing, maybe health, some sort of healing, or maybe even heaven. We start to think God owes us these things. The older brother's been keeping accounts with his father, checking all the boxes. He's got uh, receipts, money in, money out, maybe even doing accrual accounting, which is, drives me crazy, actually. I don't even know why I brought that up, except it drives me crazy. Give me cash accounting any day. But anyway, lots of merits and demerits, checking this box, checking that box. And with the older brother... It's not his wrongdoing as much as his self-righteousness and his arrogance that's keeping him out of the Father's house. Now remember, many times Jesus points his fingers at the religious leaders and tells them that they will not be accepted in our Father's house. I'm paraphrasing here. Will not be accepted in our Father's house because of their self-righteousness. So now having turned on his father, next the older brother turns on his brother. He does not refer to his brother as my brother, but calls him your son, distancing himself from his family members. He's driving a wedge between his brother and his father, trying to make his younger brother look as objectionable as possible. Doubtless at this point, the guests inside the house have drifted outside forming an audience to watch the angry exchange. Because, hey, who doesn't enjoy watching the dysfunction of somebody else's family on display? Thus, we have reality TV today, because that's what that's all about. The older brother is creating disruption and division. Between the brothers, between the brothers and the father, and between the father and his guests, he's causing disruption and dysfunction. And some of you may very well be thinking, I hear what you're saying, but I still feel like that older brother has a point. It just doesn't seem fair. 
It doesn't seem fair that the father would throw this lavish party for an irresponsible son. And you know, you're absolutely right. It's not fair. But guess what? Don't ever ask for fairness. You don't want fair. The gospel never pretends to be fair. It's significantly more than fair. For you and I are loved by God far more than we could ever know, more than we deserve, and certainly more than we could ever earn. Whether we're acting like the younger brother or the older brother, the father extends grace and mercy to both sons. It was the older brother's responsibility to stop grumbling and complaining and share in the joy the father experienced at his son's return. The religious leaders, like the older brother, grumbled and complained. They felt like Jesus was in their way rather than bringing them to the father. So the religious leaders needed to be redirected and thus Jesus tells them this story that they're missing out on the larger picture of what God was doing. They missed out on the larger story of God's unmerited favor, his grace. They missed out on the abundance that comes from being in a loving relationship with God. They missed out on the fact that God was leading people back to him through his son, Jesus. So grumbling and complaining never leads us in God's direction. The older brother's mentality gets in the way of his fruitful relationship with God. It's never wise to get in the mindset that somehow God owes us. It's God's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. Like the father in the parable, when you turn to him, all that he has is yours. <laughs>